you know, a long-awaited time. I've wanted to teach this book, but I think after the introductory message this morning, you'll understand how uh, now is the right time for this. We've just finished the book of 1 Corinthians, and, um, you know, we had been coming through a study laying out how the Lord Jesus Christ is portrayed in each book of the Bible. And now we have got to the point where uh, when we got to this book, we did such a thorough job of 1 Corinthians, I just hated to lose that. And then, you know, so we decided to hold up that study. We'll finish it when we're done here. But I wanted to go into this book. And I think from where we're at as a church, this is what we really need to do. And the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians forms for us the ideal handbook for, for ministry uh, within any church. And I've told you many, many times that one of the great ways to study the Bible is by what we call contrast, things that are opposite, things that are different. And there's no greater contrast between the church of, of, of Corinthians and 1 Corinthians than the second letter that he writes about a year later, uh, 2 Corinthians. We've already talked about where in 1 Corinthians they're just about messed up on completely everything that they, they do. Uh, many times the multiple issues in the chapter. He talks about how they're spiritual babies, that they don't, they're not growing the way they should. And because of that, we see all of the problems that they have in this particular church. It's, it's incredible. But yet when we get to the book of 2 Corinthians, and this is what forms the great contrast, something changed. And now they want to do what's right. Uh, they have uh, really de dedicated themselves to uh, following what Paul wants them to do. Uh, through the Word of God, and now they really begin to turn the corner, so to speak, and, and, and begin to do what God wants them to do. And by doing that, then we have the great contrasting book of 2 Corinthians, and as I've said many, many times, where 1 Corinthians tells you what not to do, 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter shows you every aspect of the ministry. Now, for those of us who uh, have dedicated our hearts and our minds to ministry, uh, those books, these two books are really invaluable. And uh, 1 Corinthians shows you what not to do. 2 Corinthians shows you what to do and, and how to do it. And it's an incredible book. Every aspect of my, my ministry from a personal standpoint, years ago when I saw this, and I can't even remember how many years ago that it was, that I understood this great concept, that I understood that this book of 2 Corinthians is really the handbook of ministry. And if you're going to have a successful ministry, a biblical ministry, one that God is going to bless and honor, then you have to make this your model. And this has been my model or my pattern uh, based on this ministry for, for all as long as I can remember. You know, most of you, we've talked about the importance of all the books in the New Testament. And, you know, I can't look at 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians without really seeing uh, the importance of all of them and how they fit. Now, this may not help all of you, but some of you in here at some point in your life are really going to be uh, invaluable when it comes to ministry. Many of you are, are very close to that at this point. You're grasping the idea and the concept. And I have no doubt in my mind that if Jesus tarries is coming at some point, some of you will be out uh, in the ministry on your own, and you'll be, have your own church, and you'll be doing things, and, and God will be using you just like uh, He's used you here. But I think it's important that, I think one of the, one of the best things I ever did uh, in my Bible, and I've worked very hard for many years to try to get my Bible in a very easy format for an understandable way of using it. Uh, most people think the Bible is very hard. In reality, it's not. It's a very easy book. You just got to get the right key. The Bible's like a safe, and you know, a safe is what you put your valuables in. Bank robbers want to break, crack safes, get into safes, because there's all kinds of money in there. And we've all watched movies about great bank heists, you know, and all those kind of great movies that are fun to watch. But the, the thing that keeps you from getting into that safe is the combination on the, on the, on the door. And so you got to blow the door open. you got to do something to try to get it open. You try to drill it through and do all the things that safe crackers do. But obviously, the easiest way to get into a safe that has all the money and all the valuables and all the resources that you could ever want in life is to simply get the combination. And the Bible's a lot like that. The Bible uh, is a safe. It's, got, it's a safe place for you and me to be. It's a safe place to raise your family in. 
And within that Bible are all the incredible resources that you could ever want in life. But the way you get into that, to get to that, is to have the right combination. And you've got to understand that there's a combination to the Bible. You get the right combination, the door opens up, and you can have all that you want. Get the wrong combination, and uh, you'll, you'll never get in. I learned very early in life that the whole Bible, for me, as far as ministry is concerned, is, is, uh, is very important along that line. And First and Second Corinthians just kind of fit into it. Uh, over the years... In, a, in an inspirational concept of, of teaching the Bible and using the Bible in ministry for me, I learned many years ago to index my Bible. Now, I'm not talking about putting the little tabs on there that lets you know where the books are. Uh, those are neat, but that's not what I'm talking about exactly. I'm talking about each book in the Bible of how it is an invaluable resource to you. Uh, for instance, you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, to me, when I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what I see there is, a, is the historical uh, base for the rest of my Bible, certainly for the church. If you know how the church starts and you know how the church comes into being, you know that that church is called out in Matthew chapter 10, even though it's yet far from what we know as the church to be. In God's mind, that's where he calls it out. So when I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way I index my Bible... If I'm going to minister, having the books in the right format, I'm going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as my, uh, as my historical platform. They're going to show me the basis of everything that's happening coming from the Old Testament moving into the New Testament. When I come to the book of Acts, that book is going to define for me not only the church, but the true church, but it's going to define for me the biblical aspect of church history. Everything that I'm going to need. The book of Acts is my handbook on church history. It's the foundation of the church. It shows you the right church in the right place and shows you everything you need to know, or in my case, I needed to know, to keep myself straight coming down through church history. Then we have the book of Romans. And I taught you the book of Romans, didn't I? And the book of Romans is our handbook for what the church should believe. The book of Romans is the handbook of Christian doctrine. You see, it wasn't enough for God to give me a historical platform to look at the church and where it's going. It wasn't enough for God just to give me then the book of Acts that showed me the true church and church history. I needed to know what that church was supposed to believe and teach if I was going to build the right kind of church. So then God gave me the book of Romans. And the book of Romans then forms my handbook for, for, uh, uh, for what the church should stand for and the doctrine it should teach. Then we've got the book of 1 Corinthians in our index, don't we? We've already studied that book. We know that the church of, uh, of Corinth in the first book, 1 Corinthians, shows us what not to do. It shows us what happens if God's people don't continue to grow. It shows us what transpires in your life and my life when you don't keep getting the Word of God into your life and keep growing. It produces a bunch of spiritual babies, and, and that produces all kinds of problems. So 1 Corinthians is my handbook on what not to do. Then we come to the book of 2 Corinthians, and that's where we're at today. And obviously the book of 2 Corinthians is my handbook on ministry. It shows me what to do. It not only shows me what to do, but it shows me how to do it. I don't know of any aspect of ministry from my attitude of heart to the very boots on the ground, so to speak, of doing the ministry that's not covered in the book of 2 Corinthians. And you see, indexing your Bible that way, whenever I have to deal with something, whenever I have to look at something, or I've got to teach something, or I've got to deal with something, having your Bible, the books of your Bible indexed, knowing where they go and what they cover, it's invaluable. But see, it doesn't stop there. Because the next book we got is the book of Galatians. And what Galatians does for us uh, in indexing your Bible, it helps you get to the point where you fully understand the concept of faith. Where the book of Romans shows us that we were saved by faith, the book of Galatians then takes the next step and finishes the definition and shows us that we're kept by faith. It's an incredible book. Then we have the book of Ephesians in our index, don't we? In the book of Ephesians, we have the church defined. We understand now the spiritual term of one body in Christ. And we understand the spiritual body of Christ and how it all relates. In the Philippians, we have the, the, the importance of promises to the church or to the Christian. There's 10 promises in Philippians, and I want to say something to you. 
If you didn't have a Bible, if you had no other book of the Bible but, that, but Philippians, and that's the only book you had, and the only promises that you had were the ten promises found in Philippians, you're going to get through everything in life. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible book. And it shows you how important the promises are to the church. And there's ten of them in there. I've given them to you before. In Colossians, we have the warnings to the church. And there I'm told as a pastor and you're told as a Christian to watch out for certain things. One of them is philosophy. There's no such thing as Christian philosophy. No such thing as, I mean, there are, but they're, they're not anything to do with the Bible. They're, they're demonic. You have the next thing he talks about is be aware of vain deceit, the traditions of men, and the rudiments of the world. Then I come to the book of 1 Thessalonians in my indexing of my Bible. And there we have my, uh, uh, my setup for all the models in the Bible. For that book shows me the model church. It shows me the model servant. It shows me a model faith. It shows me a model walk. And it shows me a model life. So when you come to me and you want to plan for your life to get it all together, where do you think I'm going to go to formulate it? I'm going to go to the box of the Bible the way that God has indexed them for me. Then we have the book of 2 Thessalonians, and that deals with the victory of the church. And in that whole book, you deal with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly our victory is God's people. Then you have what is commonly called the pastoral epistles, and there's four of these. They've also been called over the years the leadership epistles, because this is where if you want to teach young men and young ladies to be leaders, this is where you go. Hence, on our prayer groups, when we're meeting on, on, on the mornings, on every 12 weeks or so, I'm teaching you the 12 charges that he gave to Timothy. Why? Because indexing your Bible, showing you how important the books are with where they're at, if you want to build leaders, that's the book you go to. It's just that simple. Uh, then you have, you, have, you have First and Second Timothy. That'll she t- she talk about being a pastor or being a leader, the things you need to know. That book breaks down all around that. You have the book of Titus. That teaches you how to be a steward. And then you have the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon teaches you and I how to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and lays out that incredible concept. The next books that we have then in indexing our Bible will be the, what is commonly called the general epistles. And there's eight of these. And uh, it'll be Hebrews and James, First and Second Peter. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and of course the book of Jude. And in these books, we go back and get our perspective on God's dealing with the nation of Israel and how he's going to restore them. And then the last book in your Bible, in your little Bible index, will be the book of Revelation. And uh, you know that your teacher always before that he, she ever, or he ever gives you a test, what do they do? What does your teacher do? If you're a teacher and you've got to tell your kids, okay, you got a test on Friday, what do you do somewhere in that week to get them ready for that test? You review. So God gave you the book of review, the book of Revelation. And he gives you that book before the judgment seat of Christ shows up because, ladies and gentlemen, that's your test. See? So, to me, that's what has worked for me. I had learned many, many years ago how the Bible breaks itself down uh, into a usable index. And this is great spiritual material that uh, you have to have to be an effective minister. And maybe not now, but in time, hopefully you'll grasp it and you'll get it and you'll start indexing your own Bible, using it along those lines. You know, when it comes to ministry, and most guys do this because they don't have any structure in their own life. When it comes to ministry, you just don't get on your horse and yell yee-haw and ride off into the sunset someplace. You better have a format and a structure. And when it comes to helping people, teaching people, getting people where they need to be, you got to have your Bible indexed. And you got to learn to study and use it uh, within its own value system. And that's, that's vitally important, vitally important. Now, this book of 2 Corinthians, I think it's really important to where we're at right now uh, as a church. You, some of you remember, many of you were not here at this particular time, but many of you will remember that uh, uh, when we first started our church, one of the first studies that we took, and if I remember right, we did it a second time, 
for all the new people that had come in. But I, I taught you the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I thought that those books were vital uh, for you understanding how to build a church because that's what we were trying to do, build a church. And if you remember, I focused on the man Ezra. And I, I talked about how that Ezra uh, was God's man. And then I talked about another aspect which we talk about quite often around here, and that is God's timing. God's timing in your life is absolutely crucial. You're going to find by studying the lives of Ezra and many other men in the Bible that in that particular case there when God was ready to do something, he had the right man in the right place at the right time. And you start coming through your Bible or looking at your Bible through those kind of uh, eyes and you start seeing it from that aspect, you're going to find that that's what God will do in your life. God's timing is everything. And may I say that many of you uh, right now, this morning, sitting here, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're right there. You're in the right place at the right time. Uh, and uh, the Bible says that Ezra was a ready scribe. He was ready to do what God wanted him to do. And many of you right now are in that same position. And you're ready to take a real leap in your life with God as far as, to put it in a context, breaking the breaking the sound barrier of ministry. You know, the sound barrier for many, many years was a, a, an unapproachable thing. It wasn't even known till late uh, after World War II. And it was a mystical thing of flying faster than the speed of sound. How, how ridiculous it seems now when uh, you can fire a bullet and plane can out, outrun the bullet. We can travel through space at 25,000 miles an hour. Sound barrier seems like nothing anymore, but it was big back then. And it made tremendous news around the world when uh, Chuck Yeager, who was the first man to fly faster than the speed of sound, broke the sound barrier. And it was such a thing that everybody was trying to do it, but once we did it, we realized that the sound barrier uh, was just the beginning. There was other challenges out there that the sound barrier was just a gateway once you got through that, that you went to the next one. And I've always looked at that analogy much like ministry. Many of you, for the first time when you're really in your life, you're at a place now where God is really going to use you. And you're like Chuck Yeager going to go through the sound barrier. You're getting your first real taste of ministry. You're getting your first understanding. And the book of 2 Corinthians is going to help us put that. And that's why I'm excited about doing it because right now so many of you or in the right place at the right time to be the right man or the right woman. And you're a ready scribe. You're ready to do something. And God is going to do it with you. You know, here's how it's supposed to work from a Bible standpoint. God saved you for ministry. We make no apology for that around here. We make no apology that the only reason God saved you, if you're a saved person today, the only reason he saved you was to minister. That simple, from a Bible standpoint, to do a work for him. But to do that work, you have to grow. And to grow, you have to learn how to redefine yourself. And I talk about this term a lot, yourself, on a, on a consistent basis. The aspect, and we're going to define that today as we move into the book of 2 Corinthians, because I think it's very vital that you understand that before we, so you know what's going on around you, so you can better learn from what we're going to talk about. Redefining yourself keeps you from becoming stagnant. It keeps you from becoming lazy, complacent. It keeps you from losing your focus or losing your perspective, which we all have a tendency to do. And the thing that most churches don't do and the thing that most Christians don't do is they never get into a program where they constantly are redefining who they are in Christ. And I think that when that fails, when a pastor fails to bring that to his people, when a pastor fails to do it himself, then it just moves right down the hill and everything kind of falls apart. And this is why churches have, have problems where people get lethargical, they get lazy, they get complacent, they get stagnant, they lose their perspective, they lose their focus, and everybody wonders what's wrong with Christianity. I'll tell you what's wrong with Christianity. What's happened is God's people have never, or they quit, redefining themselves on a consistent daily basis to really stay focused on who they are. 
You know, throughout the Bible, Paul tells us as a Christian, and this is certainly true for a church. Of course, churches are made up of Christians, and, uh, you know, the, the, the church will only be as strong as the people that are in it. But Paul, throughout his writings, throughout the Bible, tells us that a Christian should always do four things to stay fresh. In redefining yourself, you should do four things. And he, he mentions it throughout the Bible. Uh, the place that comes to mind is in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll spend a lot of time when we get to that point. But he, he talks about many of these things throughout all of his writing. But the first thing he says, he tells us to examine ourselves. You know, I think that's the number one thing that we don't do. That's really why you're here this morning. When I talk about you redefining yourself on a constant basis, it starts with examining yourself. It really does. Uh, the Word of God is like a telescope. And, uh, you know, uh, if you ever go out and you look at the moon and you see the moon through your natural eyesight, you know, uh, it's, it, it's beautiful and it's pretty, but you really can't see much detail. You get a pair of binoculars and look at it, wow, the detail is tenfold. But you get a telescope and look at it and put about 200 power on it, and man, you're down inside some of those craters. And it, the whole thing changes its perspective. And that's what the Word of God does, and that's what it means for you and me to examine ourselves. You see, when you get saved, the first thing you do is to start to let the book show you who you are. And the book will show you things about yourself that you need to change. As you continue to get into the Word of God and examine yourself, but just like that telescope, it'll add more magnification to it, and the more magnification the Word of God uh, puts in your light to look at yourself, the more imperfections you see in yourself and the better uh, chance you have to, to fix those. Now, here's the problem. Most people take the telescope of the Bible. Instead of looking at themselves, they look at everybody else. And that's the problem. It didn't say examine the person sitting next to you. It said examine yourself. I, I would, it's comical to me. I, I sit up here sometimes, and when I'll say things, I'll watch, I'll watch people nudge the other person like, did you get that? You know, and I think that's cute. Husbands will do it to, no, wives will do it to husbands. I see people doing it to each other. I've even seen them mouth it, you know. You know, that's her, that's him, that's her, you know. And I, think that, and, I, and I think, every time I see that, I think to myself, you know what, that may or may not be true, but I'll tell you what, I guarantee you, you ought to take that big 200-inch telescope you got and turn it around backwards and look at yourself because we need to examine ourselves. See, that's the first aspect of it. Then the second thing Paul says is he talks about, he says, take heed to yourself. Now, you know, where examine yourself is to look at yourself and see who you really are. Uh, take heed to yourself means that you have to get honest with yourself. This is what we don't like to do. We don't like to be honest with ourselves. We like to look at ourselves through the telescope of perfection. You know, God forbid, we didn't like the woman, the witch didn't like it when she said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And, she, and the mirror come back and said, hey, you, baby. <laughs> you know, she didn't like that. Yet the Bible says the Word of God is like a looking glass that when a man looks into it, he sees what manner of man he is. And that's what the Bible does, you see. The Bible shows us when we examine ourselves who we are, and then we have to take heed. We have to be honest with ourselves. And then the next thing Paul says, in fact, the verse that comes to mind on that taking heed is over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I think it's down around verse 20 where he tells the Christian to take heed how he builds on the foundation. He builds the temple of God on the foundation that God has given him. It's in that chapter down there. The next thing that you find Paul talking about is he says that we're to know ourselves. See, you ought to know at some point in your Christian life, if you're honest with yourself, if you're examining yourself, you ought to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You ought to know those things. Now, we don't like to deal with this because we don't like to think we have any weaknesses, but we all have them. And when we do recognize we have weaknesses, let's be honest, human nature is such that we like to spend more time on our strengths than we do our weaknesses, and that doesn't accomplish anything. So you have to examine yourself, you have to take heed to yourself, 
You have to know yourself. And then the redefining part of this, that once you do these three things, is the next thing that Paul says all the way through there, and he talks about proving yourself. And proving yourself is the process of redefining yourself by being honest with who you are and realizing that uh, it's not a bad thing to have imperfections. Uh, we're, we're in such a society that looks down on people with problems and issues that uh, many times the, the very people who are throwing stones at the people uh, who are down and having the issues in their own hearts have the exact same issues. And, you know, for you to be effective in ministry, you have to understand that it takes a constant redefining of who you are. And it takes this church in a constant state of redefining who we are. Now, that's really important when you consider uh, the next part of this and you th really think about it. <clears throat> How many times have you heard me say, it? <clears throat> and it's true, <clears throat> nothing will define us as God's people or who we really are. Nothing really defines us as God's people as to who we really are in Christ more than ministry will. It just is the way it is. You see, real ministry, like real Christianity, has some qualities that cannot be faked. And when real ministry is present and a redefining process is underway in a church, the good side of it is that the people who are applying it are growing. The bad side of it is, or maybe it's the good side, it exposes the phonies. It's just the way it works. Yeah, have you ever stopped and looked back at some things in your life and uh, to see how time and how certain things that people do, God's people or anybody, how it defines them with the passing of time? You know, if I've learned anything in my, my 61 years on planet Earth and 40-plus years in the ministry, I've learned one great thing, that I never, never, never jump at what somebody says. There's always a tendency that when you hear something bad or good that you, because you either want to hear it or you think that it needs to be what you need to hear, you jump on it. And I'm telling you something, that's just not a good way to do things. You're going to find, if you look back in your life, that there's things that you thought one way that were really somewhere other way with the passing of time. One of the great examples that comes to mind is the question couple of Thursday nights ago about uh, Adam and Eve when she had Cain and she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. But with the passing of time, what did we find out? That wasn't the man from the Lord. You see, time proves all things. Problem is God's people aren't patient enough to wait it out and they don't watch. They don't watch. Uh, but I'm telling you, nothing will define who you are and who I am who we really are in Christ better than ministry because real ministry like Christianity uh, always has some qualities that cannot be faked. You know, three years ago this January, we started our, our Ironman teams. And if you're a visitor here today, uh, that may seem like a strange name to you, but that's another name for our prayer groups. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's still a strange name for prayer groups. But no, it's not when you understand that it was built on the concept of Proverbs 27, 17 that talks about as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. That's the concept that people praying together, talking together, working together, and helping each other through the tough times together, they sharpen each other's countenance based on that verse. So they're prayer groups, but we call them Iron Man groups. That's where they come from. I told you, and this is a great example, I told you very clearly three years ago coming up on New Year's Eve, that's when we, we put it out about three years ago, and you can still get the tape back there. They still have it. I told you then that it would take this church and take you to the next level. It would redefine you in our church and it was the, what we needed to do to get to the next level in ministry. And it was an open door that God gave us. <clears throat> we had spent five or six years building a good, solid foundation. And now it was ready for us to go to that next level that would be a level of you and I <clears throat> defining ourselves with this. Because, oh, I remember how many people were so excited about the fact that, oh, I want to be a leader. I want to do this. I want to get involved in this. And exactly, uh, you know, uh, three years from now, uh, you look back and you, you see those same groups today. It's produced some of the 
greatest leaders that I've ever had in all of my years of ministry. Some of the, less, some of the best leaders that have come out of this, uh, God has taken uh, people to the next level, and our whole church has been redefined, just like I told you it would. I told you that there was a master plan behind what we try to do. And I'm not interested in just having church on Sunday morning. I have a plan, just like a plan of indexing your Bible. You better have a plan of indexing ministry of where you're going to get the people to go. I mean, any church that starts up, you can hitchhike off for four or five years of good times, having fun, and, and all the things that go along. But after that time passes, now you've got to settle in, and you better, you're going to take the people someplace you got to have a plan, and if you don't have a plan, your whole church just kind of degenerates into anarchy, and you turn into the church of 1 Corinthians, which, you know, we know what that's all about. But we look back and we see those groups today, how it's produced some of the best leaders. It's taken people to the next level. Our whole church has now been defined around these prayer groups, but at the same time, it's defined who we are. It's exposed the ones who were strong, it's also exposed the ones who, who, you know, when we were down at Restart last week, Catherine, who is the charge of all the volunteers, I was talking with her. And, you know, she's quite overwhelmed with us, and she really uh, is kind of taken back. She's obviously never seen anything like this. And we were talking, and she used that old phrase that I haven't heard for many, many years. And she looked at me, and she said, and I told her, you know, hey, we're just glad to be here, and we want to help any way we can. And she says, well, I've learned one thing in the short period of time that you guys have been here. And I'm thinking, well, what's that? And she says, you guys, she says, you guys really walk the walk. You just don't talk the talk. You walk the walk. And you know what? I thought, wow, you know, for a short time we've been down here, for God to do that in her heart and to show her how sincere we are about the whole thing, uh, that, was, that was quite an incredible thing. But you know what? That's exactly what three years ago it brought our whole church to because good or bad, indifferent, right or wrong, it exposed who was going to walk the walk and who was just going to talk the talk. And that's the way it always does. That's what ministry does because nothing will define who we are better than ministry. And uh, now, uh, with that in mind, look back and, and, and learn something here. In the last three, three years, we have fine-tuned those prayer groups as the people in them have redefined themselves on an ongoing basis, and we'll continue to do so. At this point, prayer now is the central part of this ministry and this church, exactly what it should be from a Bible standpoint. But I'm not talking about these goofy little Saturday morning prayer meetings with the guys when you worked all week long, and so you then you think because you get up early on your day off and trouble in, and you all have a little prayer meeting, and, it, it, you know, and you've accomplished something. I'm not talking about that. That's the goofy things of ministry. I'm talking about a committed, on a daily basis, weekly basis, that a prayer group of men and women sharpen each other's countenance, and that ministry of other people brings the leadership up to the top and basically exposes where we're all at in ministry. Because as Christians, you and I are, as a church, we're only going to be as strong as our prayer life. And that's just what it's done. And you learn from things like that. My job, the job of this church, is laid out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. It says there, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But I want to say something to you. There's no work of the ministry, and there's no edifying of the body of Christ to you first perfecting the saints, and that is redefining yourself on a constant basis. It's just that simple. A child of God or a church consistently redefining itself of who it is, it keeps from happening what happened at the church of Corinth. And what Paul uh, struggled with through his whole ministry and what he was talking about in Hebrews chapter 5. And I know this is a familiar passage, but turn in your Bible over to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read this. And I know this grains some of you every time I go to this, but that's all right. Paul felt much of the same frustration that I'm sure any pastor feels what he feels the burden of doing what God has called him to do, but many people don't want to do it. 
that he says in verse 12 of chapter 5, and I want you to follow this very carefully. Examine yourself now and, you know, take heed to yourself and all those good things. But here's what he says. For when ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That'd be 1 Corinthians, see? But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now there he talks about in verse 14 that, uh, that using the word of God to, in, in ministry to exercise your senses. You hear me talk about it all the time how that you need to develop discernment. You need to develop discretion. You need to develop godly wisdom. You need to develop an understanding of how to use all of that. But that has to happen only as you use the information in what you already have. Using the Word of God you have, adding to it, letting God build that into an exercise program that gives you everything that you want. And this is why this, the, the problem in all churches today is found right there. Some of God's people have been sitting around for 5, 10, 15 years. They've never doing anything more now than they did the day they came in. And, you know, most churches, most pastors just are okay with that. Well, I'm not okay with that. I mean, you may stay here the rest of your life and do, any, do nothing at all for God, but I guarantee you, you'll hardly ever leave here a Sunday that your rear end isn't on fire. Amen. And it won't be a case of hemorrhoids. It'll be a case of that book. Because I know what a lethargic church turns into. I know what happens when God's people won't redefine themselves or don't redefine themselves. And this is the problem with, with, with every church. Every church. Every church is up against the same issue. And it's real simple and it's real easy. And most of God's people, from one aspect, are just like the world in one area. You know what that area is? We all like to eat, but nobody likes to exercise. Want a little bit of advice on your New Year resolution of, of exercising? Wait till about two or three days after Thanksgiving before you go to the gym or Christmas or New Year's. Place is packed. You know why it's packed? Because people ate too much. They feel the burden that they're overweight. They got to do something about it and they keep eating and they like to eat. So the first thing they do is get this, you know, get this bug. Well, I'm going to, you know, right after. And it's always after the last meal. <laughs> and I go there, you know, Friday after, or after the, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. The place is packed. You can't even get in. But a week from now, be right back to normal. It's the way it works. And God's people are the same way. Just as exercise is the key to health and stability in your mind and your, and your self-discipline, ministry is the exercise you need to balance all you eat spiritually. You eat, you got to have an exercise program. It's, it's more than just a physical thing for you. Years ago, years ago, I, 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 who would think that, that running, running, would be the key to Bible memorization. Now, who would think of that? Who would think of that unless you investigate what you got? I mean, first of all, in the Bible, isn't the Holy Spirit like in the air? There's your first clue. You know what makes your brain function at a high rate or 100% capacity as much as it can? It's oxygen. Simple math. Expand your lungs, get more oxygen in your lungs. That oxygen gets to your brain. Your brain functions better. End of the day, you have a better thinking process in every aspect of your life. You see, the two are so connected. They really are. But just God's people today are just like everybody else. We love to eat. We love to come on Thursday night and get the Bible. I bet you some of you got as many notes in your Bible as I got in mine. And you love getting all that stuff down. But you see, ministry is the exercise you need to balance all that you get. But God's people, they want to eat, but they don't want to exercise. Now, that's what our prayer groups did, going back, thinking back. I got many of you taking what you had eaten, learned, and put into an exercise program, and look at you now. 
But I'll say it again. Nothing will define who you really are like what you do with ministry. With ministry comes responsibility. See, you can come to church and be the most irresponsible person you ever walked this planet. The second thing you'll find is you'll find accountability. You can come to church and sit in the church for 40 years and be unaccountable to anybody. Reliability. You can come to church every Sunday, and you know it has nothing to do with how reliable you are. Dependability. Flexibility. Durability. All of those qualities, you can come to church, sit in church, and you can just go through your whole life and not have them. But I guarantee you, you get into ministry and don't redefine yourself and develop yourself and put those areas in, they'll stick out like a sore thumb. you look like a six-foot man at a midget convention. And this is what, going back, our prayer groups did. God has consistently given this church levels of opportunity, and then the leadership has risen to it. But I'll thought, think a minute. Think a minute. Look back and remember, not everybody liked the idea of those prayer groups, did they? Some people thought it was stupid. Remember the person on the blackboard over there that at some point come in when we were putting the dates down for the second one and somebody had written up there how stupid they thought this was? Some pe- not everybody liked it. Now you have a little understanding why they didn't. You see, everybody wants to do it, but once you realize that it takes responsibility, accountability, reliability, and all the things going with it, and you don't have those things in your life, people don't like that. In 40-plus years of ministry and working with 100 churches and building three or four of my own up from the scratch has taught me anything. It's that God's people who are saved and probably love the Lord and carry their Bibles and read their Bibles, they love to hide in church when it comes to ministry. They like to eat, but they don't like to exercise. And I'll give you a little clue here. As a pastor, you can't ever let that happen. You just can't. That will always come back to bite you someplace in time. It always will. Now listen, the success of any church, any ministry, will never be built on one man or one woman or one person. The success of any ministry or any church will never be given the credit to one guy. I don't care if it's the pastor. I don't care who it is. It'll never, it'll, the credit will never fall into one man. It's a continual effort of everybody, and it's everybody getting in and seeing the burden and getting it done, and no success of any church can ever be pinned on one man. But, brother, one person can sure pull it down. And you just keep that to a minimum. So you keep the heat on. You keep moving forward. You hit it hard every Sunday, every Thursday. You don't ever look or think about the stupid excuses that people give for not ministering. And I hear them all the time. Heard them all my life. Well, my schedule's busy right now. What do you say to the fact that so-and-so over here has got exactly the same schedule you got or maybe more, and yet they minister? See? Don't let your inability to prioritize or your inability to make good decisions be confused with you're too busy. I've heard people say, well, my job, you know, my job. I can't go do this because of my job. Hey, last week, Thursday night, and I never said anything to anybody. Never would. I don't even tell you who it is. But I know at least two guys that were there that went down to restart, that worked restart that night, and they didn't get out of there to 7 o'clock. And I know one of them had to go to work at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the other one had to leave an hour early because he went and worked all night long. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You say, well, my health. And I realize that some of you uh, older folks, bless your heart, uh, you know, uh, you, you have legitimate health issues. But I also want to tell you, hey, I had a couple of people down there that called me on the phone and said, look, my health is so bad, I can't do this, I can't do that. But if you'll just bring me a chair and set me someplace, I want to pass out stuff. I don't have a lot of sympathy with your excuses. I know a lady that died 10 years ago that was a fervent Christian and when she had a stroke and she couldn't go door to door and she was paralyzed from her waist down, you know what she did the last five years of her life? She got a phone book and went through it every day and prayed for the people in the phone book. Don't talk to me about it. You're talking to the wrong guy. 
Go Google David Ring on your Google, on your computer this afternoon. There's a guy who he thought he was going to die by the time he was five. He's got every medical problem you can think. He can't talk. He can't walk. He, he's absolutely uh, almost as close to a paraplegic and, an, and, and, a, and, a, and he can't speak. And God has used him as an evangelist for God knows how many years. I don't even want to hear it. You got to keep the standard high. Ministry is number one, whether you like it or not. That's the reason God saved you. And that's how it has to be. Now, in spiritual growth and in redefining yourself, which we're going to really work on through the book of 2 Corinthians, let me say this. You learn from, from whatever you do. And I want to encourage you from this point on to listen very carefully because the tendency is, and, and you don't maybe understand that timing is everything with God. And here we are at the book of 2 Corinthians when God has laid in our lap the greatest object lesson that we could ever have of learning how to take what we learn here and apply it to what God has given us to do within the homeless ministry and restart. And the greatest single opportunity you have to take what you're learning, learn from it, and use it if you will pay attention and see what we got to see here. Learn from everything you do. The tendency is, you know, we go down to Restart, and some of you work at Restart where there's 150 people. Some of you over at 16th and Cherry where there's 100 people. Some of you over here where there's 10 people. Some of you down along the river where there's three people. Some of you pass out 200 hot dogs. Some of you pass out, you know, 20 hot dogs. And the tendency is, is that feel like, well, you know what? This is, I, I, I'm not successful. I'd rather be where you, hey, it's not about how many hot dogs you pass out. It's not about who you're talking to. Have you learned anything from what you're doing. You don't judge your success by how many people you meet or deal with. You never judge your learning experience on how many people you talk to. That is immaturity at its best. Let me ask you a question. As far as the homeless ministry is concerned, we've been down there now about three or four, three months. What have you learned? What have you learned? To use it just a going down. And, and, and I appreciate everything everybody does. I mean, our church has pulled together. I mean, uh, we, need, uh, we need hot dog buns and we need hot dogs and we need lettuce. And I guarantee you by Thursday night, it'll look like uh, the produce department at Safeway out there. I, I guarantee you. That's a good thing. And we go down and we know what we're trying to accomplish. But let me ask you a question. Beyond that, have you learned anything? At this moment, with three months under my belt, going down there, I have a clearly identified three different cultures within this homeless scenario. Each are different. Each require different strategy. And you need to learn them and see them and understand that how you're ever going to be effective. It's not just a hot dog ministry. You don't go down. Uh, you just don't go down uh, with we here we are doing a good thing attitude. You know, it, it never ceased to me. I just kind of snickered when I saw it. Thanksgiving, you know, there was a thing in the paper. Many of you saw it down at the uh, Kansas City Rescue Mission. There were people down there, you know, had their kids down there, and they were passing out Thanksgiving dinner, and they had a picture in the paper, you know, with their names and everything, and they all had smiles on their faces. You know, they're down there doing their thing. And I thought to myself, that is exactly what the majority of churches and people do. They go down there at a seasonal thing, they feel good, and then they go back, and they never think about it again. That's not ministry. That's not ministry. You don't go down there with a, here we are, doing a good thing. You learn from everything you can. You take 2 Corinthians and what you already know and you watch even in this area how they continue to redefine themselves. I don't care if you're out there on the street. You learn the cultures. You learn what you're up against. You learn because all aspects of ministry are always the same. The people may change. The scenarios may change. But the format and the structure and, and how you may go after it will always be the same. And part of the success of this ministry will obviously be based on simply building relationships. Trust relationships. 
Some of you are already down there and the guys are getting to know who you are by name. That's invaluable. Because if you're ever going to really win them to Christ, it's going to be you becoming one with them when they understand that you really care. They all know you love their soul. They just want to know if you really love them. And that's the problem with most churches. They love those people's souls, but they don't love those people. That's not ministry. When we go down here on December 18th, we're going to, it's a Christmas party. Out of your mind. It's our opportunity to get one more step in their world. We're going to break those groups down into basically three different parties. Some of you this afternoon after church, you're going to adopt a single. And we'll talk about that later. That'll be your group. Some of the others, we're going to do things for the single men that are overnight off the street. That'll be your group. We're going to do it for the ladies. That'll be your group. We're going to do something for all the children. That's their group. That's your group. We're going to have their, we're going to do everything we can to build a relationship with them and put a program together. And that's how you do it. And then you learn from it. You don't just go down and say, hey, we're doing a Christmas. Learn from it. Learn the different cultures. When you look at Restart and our homeless ministry, the people on the street, here's what we need to do. Right now, we are the right church in the right place at the right time. You are the right person at the right place in the right time, if you want to be. Here's what we need to do. Every chapter of 2 Corinthians, every concept, every lesson we do, we apply to the example of ministry with the object lesson that God has given us right in front of us. Learning the ability to read the circumstances and the situations and the opportunities through the principles that you're going to read and understand in 2 Corinthians, the handbook on ministry. In other words, you're simply going to become something I say all the time. You're going to become smarter than the situation you're in. In ministry, things are never as simple as they seem. That's another mistake that many people make. They look at things at face value. Somebody comes and tells you something, you just believe it, take it as face value. I'm not saying that it may not be real to them. I'm not saying it may not be true, but I'm just saying, you don't buy the whole enchilada uh, the first time you go into the Mexican restaurant. You, you, you find out that it, in ministry, things are not as simple as they appear. I'll give you an example. You haven't picked up on it yet, probably. I'm not maybe that you probably could. But you know there's a vast difference in the philosophies between the homeless people on the street and the homeless people in Restart? You realize there's two different worlds there? You realize it's both the same homeless ministry, it's both much the same people with the same needs, but Restart looks at what they're doing a completely different way than the people on the street, and it's almost, it's almost, it's so glaring you can't miss it. And my point is this, you try to run one like you run the other, you're going to fall flat on your face. You just go in waving hot dogs around, man, and saying, hey, here we are. You're going to fall on your face. There's a different world between those two. There's a different culture. There's a different mindset. And you have to learn what they are to effectively minister in it. And you know what? I'm just talking about that because that's the object lesson God gave it. It's that way in everything you do in ministry. It's that way when you work with a husband and wife. It's that way when you work with parents and children. It's that way when you work with whatever scenario in ministry. The scenarios are always the same. It's just the people change. That's all it is. That's all it is. Some of you saw with that little group that is over there along the fence that they got their own leader. Some of you saw it with people who are down along the river, and that's where they stayed. Have you never asked yourself why they're not up, where they can get a warm bed up here? Why do they choose to stay extenuated from everybody else? Why does this group tend to be away from everybody else? There's four or five different cultures down there with a mindset that each one is different, and we're just going to walk down with two hot dogs in a track? I don't think so. Ministry is being able to understand what the differences are, being able to realize a strategy for each one, and be able to understand and realize that everyone, each one, even though it looks absolutely the same, it's totally different. 
figuring out why. Figuring out why. You know, my plan is simple. We're going to take one step at a time is what God has given us because this is the object lesson God has put right in front of us to use while we're going to do the book of 2 Corinthians. And out of this will come the same leaders will elevate, new people will come up like so many of you already told me, you know what, this finally got me out of my comfort zone. This is what you needed. Right place, right person, right time. Always makes the difference. But my, my, I'm just going to take one project a month. We're going to take it one month at a time. We're not making any long-range plans that we're going to go do. We're going to take it one month at a time, find out what their needs are, find out how we can best do it, uh, and we're going to let God uh, take the folks that, uh, that uh, are, want to get involved in it. That God's going to take what you already know with the Word of God, what we add to in 2 Corinthians, into our study, and then God's going to exercise you and use the book of 2 Corinthians as our learning textbook with the object lesson that God's put right in front of us. Sounds simple to me. A church, as any Christian, has to be in a continual state of redefining itself. Well, I used to hear it all the time, you know, at New Year's Eve, pastors used to say, and I've said it myself many, many times. It's a true statement. Come down to New Year's Eve, you always ask the people, what's different about you this year than last year? Well, in reality, that's way too much time between your defining yourself. One of the real value lessons that it, take, that, it, that it does, it keeps of redefining on a continual basis, that it keeps God's people accountable to the reason God saved them, and that is to minister. And my dear friend, I love you to death, and you can say it all you want, you can pretend all you want, you can argue all you want. You can tell yourself, you can tell others, you can tell all your friends what a great relationship you have with God, but at the end of the day, it's the byproduct of that relationship that is so easy to spot and so simple to see. God saved you for one reason, and that one reason only is to bear fruit and reproduce yourself in the life of somebody else, your kids first, and then others second. I've told you many, many times, there's only two things worth investing your life to in this whole world because they're the only two things going to last for all of eternity. One of them is the Word of God. That's what you eat. The other one is the souls of men. That is your exercise program. And through that procedure, you get discernment, discretion, wisdom, and understanding. Now, let me tell you another great principle of ministry. We'll see this in 2 Corinthians also. The real key to ministry is not talking, but listening and watching. Any ministry. It's really important that when you sit down and you talk with somebody or you're in a ministry and you're doing something, that the most important thing you do is listen. Because many times we talk and start to say things because we know what the Bible says, but we're not understanding what the real problem is. Real ministry is listening first, speaking second. Many times we're so busy telling everybody what we're going to do for them, we don't really hear what their needs are. Now, when it comes to the restart program down here, this is where we need to listen. It's easy to get so involved in telling them what we want to do, we don't hear what they really need. So you'll wind up giving them what we want, the way we want to do it, and they never really get what they really need, what they really want. And I want to tell you something right now. They're not going to stop you and say, that's not what we need. They are so fragile and so thankful that anybody has showed up. They're not going to take the chance of offending us. It just simply comes down, ladies and gentlemen, being smarter than the situation you're in. Realizing that, you know what, it isn't about what we want to do down there. It's about what they need down there. This is not about us going down with all our great ideas when we have no idea what their situation really is. We listen. We learn. And then we form a plan together to get them what they need the way they want it done. It's the same key to solving a marital problem. It's the same key to solving any relationship. You both got to listen to each other and you got to help solve each other's needs. God in His infinite wisdom has blessed this church with a rare opportunity. And I'm not talking about 
the opportunity to start a church or reach people. That's certainly there. In the last three months alone, just by the figures that I've kept, we've, we've fed over 800 people and passed over 1,000 tracks. But that in itself is a great thing, but that's not the main thing. I'm talking about an opportunity for us as a church to move up two or three levels and learn from what's right in front of us the different aspects of ministry of 2 Corinthians all built around the object lesson that God has put right in our lap. Ezra, a ready scribe, right church, right place, and the right timing. But just like learning the Bible or following biblical principles in whatever, finding a wife or a husband or taking the Bible uh, and training up your children, some will and some won't. I think the verse or the passage that comes to mind and almost, you know, you get into the Bible and you study something and you read something and be one little thing there just sticks in your mind for the next 40 years. And I, my, one of my great studies in the Bible that I took, and I have a series of sermons on them. I, I may have preached them here or not. I've preached them many times. It's found in Exodus chapter 16. Because in Exodus chapter 16, you have the great story of God bringing down the manna from heaven to the children of Israel. And when you make the parallels back and forth, it's, it's an incredible study. First of all, the children of Israel had just left Egypt. That's a picture of, of a man getting saved. Egypt's the type of the world. And when they left Egypt, they go on a journey. And that journey is a picture of our spiritual growth. Because God's got a land of promise for them. And the land of promise is a place where you get into ministry and you really do something for God. And they had to stay in that land uh, by believing the promises that God gave them. Just like you have to stay serving God by the principles and the promises God gave you. So they go into the wilderness of sin. There's nothing there that can sustain them. The water's bitter. The temperature's horrendous. Snakes and scorpions and spiders. Nothing grows, absolutely, totally adverse to them. Much like once you get saved, the world should be to the child of God. But God knows they need to be sustained, doesn't he? God knows that they need something to get them through this wilderness of sin. So God <clears throat> takes Moses and with his staff, he goes to a rock. That rock is a type of Christ in the Bible. He smites that rock, and out of that rock comes water. Picture the Word of God. And they can have all the water they want. Pure, clean water from God, out of the rock. Picture of God giving you and me what we need to sustain us. But then that wasn't enough. <clears throat> so God <clears throat> brought, the Bible says, manna from heaven. Manna is bread, type of the Word of God. And the Bible says in that great passage that... <clears throat> That uh, and oh, the parallels are incredible. I mean, I, I think back on it, and you know, it's something that I it really I've never forgotten. I've taught it many, many times, but it sticks with me as fresh as anything every day. You know, they had to they had to gather that in the morning. While they slept, God brought it down to them, and it was supernatural food. God gave them supernaturally the bread that they needed to sustain them in the wilderness of sin, and they could have all that they want. He gives them some restrictions. He says, you can't, you can't take the bread today and keep it for tomorrow. You have to go out and get it fresh every day, showing you that the child of God has to live one day at a time. The promises that God gives you today may not be the promises you need for tomorrow. That's incredible stuff. Supernatural food that God rained down from heaven. While they slept at night, though it all came down. When they put back the tent flap in the morning, and here's the part I really like. And this is where it fits into where we're at today. When they pulled back that tent flap and flapped it back there, and that manna was all around, a picture of the Word of God. And that's another great thing I, I, I thought of, you know, as I come through that. <clears throat> all this stuff about searching for the Bible, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, on a quest to find the Word of God. You realize that when they needed the supernatural Word of God, the bread from heaven, that God brought it right to where they were. All they had to do was throw back the tent flap, and there it was. You realize that God gave you the Word of God, the bread that's going to sustain you. You got a Bible? Hold it up today. You got, that's your banner right there. He gave that to you. It came to you. 
You didn't go looking for it. Son of man come to seek and to save that was lost. He came to you. Bah. Them being in the tent, it coming to them brought on a decision. They put back that tent flap in the morning. That brought a decision upon them. They either gathered it up the way God told them to do or they went on their way and they trampled it under their feet. But the whole thing is verse 17 because this is so true of God's people and it's true, it's true exactly after what I've told you this morning. We now stand at the greatest opportunity this church has ever had. We now not have just the, the study of 2 Corinthians. We now have the object lesson that we can take it to the next level, that God on an ongoing basis is going to give us a place that we can use, exercise everything that we do, learning the different cultures and everything about it to see how it works. But just back to Exodus chapter 16, verse 17, that great verse. Boy, I've thought about this a thousand times when I've looked at God's people in my own church, God's people in general. After God did everything that he did, brought it down to them, Bible simply says in verse 17, some gathered more and some gathered less. That's the way it always is with God's people. Some of you will go after it because you know that ministry is the thing and you're going to gather all that you can. Some of you, you'll gather less. You'll just do as you always do. And that's the way God's people are. It just really is. Our commitment here. At this mission field that God has given us, and I'll be very honest with you, I read about Stanley Livingston going to Africa, Adonai and Judson going to Burma in my life, Robert Moffat, 51 years in Cape Town, South Africa, William Carey, father of modern missions, went to India. But I won't tell you something. This mission field, this object lesson that God has put in our lap, we need to look at it just like Stanley, Adonai, and Robert, and William looked at the mission field they went to because it's our mission field right now. What you do with the opportunity that God has given you today will probably most likely set the stage for how God will use you or not use you the rest of your life. At some point in your life, you have to clean off a spot. You have to take a stand with the Word of God, and you clearly have to say, God, you saved me for a purpose. You saved me for a reason. I've got a lot of junk out there in my life that's been keeping me from getting it done. But right now, I'm going to clear off a spot, and I'm going to give you what you saved me for and I'm going to minister for you. I'm not saying it has to be at Restart. I'm not saying it has to be in a homeless ministry. There's plenty of things for people to do that without ever touching that. I'm just saying, that's the object lesson that God, that's going to take some of you who are already right there and put you through the sound barrier and send you up to the stratosphere, the ionosphere, and in outer space where everything is supernatural. So we're going to take 2 Corinthians and chapter by chapter, lesson by lesson, we're going to show how to minister based on the handbook of ministry with the object lesson that God has given us. And we'll watch God grow and take young men and young ladies. And this is what to do. We're going to get to eat, but we're also going to start an exercise program. That exercise program is ministry. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> we do love you. We thank you, Father, for...